This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Indian Economy Explained. The first bank of India was the Bank of Hindustan in 1770 in Calcutta, the former capital of British ruled India. Post independence with the formulation of the Banking Regulation Act 1949, the government nationalized banks. The history of the banking sector since then has seen many successes and crises with some notable landmarks being the nationalization of 14 banks in 1969. The financial crisis of 2008 affected the banking sector by causing banks to lose money on mortgage defaults and credit to consumers and businesses to dry up. Non-performing asset, a loan showing monthly payment remains overdue for 90 days, rose during the government of UPA or United Progressive Alliance, a subject that became an election issue in the 2014 Lok Sabha election. As of November 2020, the Indian banking system consists of 12 public sector banks, 22 private sector banks, 44 foreign banks, 56 regional rural banks, 1,485 urban cooperative banks, and 96,000 rural cooperative banks, in addition to cooperative credit institutions. In the current situation, the banking sector is in another tough situation. with the government pushing for the reprivatization of banks in the union budget 2021 to 2022 speech the finance minister nirmala sitaraman said that the government will privatize two more public sector banks going forward the government has already privatized idbi bank by selling its majority stake to lic in 2019 and has merged 14 public sector banks in the last 4 years More than 10 lakh bank employees have gone on strike in March 2021 against this privatization. As we move towards a more digital economy, it is important to understand the banking sector. Hi, I'm Kunika Balhotra, Research and Communications Officer for Suno India, and your host for this episode of Indian Economy Explained. To understand more about the evolution of the banking system in the country and the role of banking institutions in the economy, I spoke with Amol Agrawal. an assistant professor at Amrit Modi School of Management at Ahmedabad University he has worked as an economist in Mumbai's financial markets and is also a very popular economics blogger hi amol welcome to the show so could you start with briefly explaining the evolution of the indian banking sector what is the role of banking in our economy and if you could also tell me about the different kinds of banking institutions we have in the country you can start from post independence start from rbi because i think rbi is a very important player in this whole space so what do banks do primarily purpose is to is to provide funds to needy enterprises now india has had a very long history of banking uh, before rbi you had uh, and even before the british came in you had the indigenous banks most of the prominent regions in india have had uh, banks which were called which were categorized on caste lines and so on and so forth typically let's let's say when we start from rbi uh, before rbi you had indigenous banks you had cooperative banks you had the british uh, which had come in and set up their joint stock banks so so till 1757 uh, till the battle of plassey most of the banking system in india run by hundis the payments payments are settled through that and after the british come in the joint stock banks come in that evolution happens 
but all these years you didn't really have a banking regulator uh, banks were coming in banks were setting up uh, on their own there was nobody to tell them or nobody to really regulate where you are lending where are the reserves and so on and so forth which also meant that we had lots of crisis so indian banking history is full of these periods where you've got lots of banks coming in large numbers and lots of banks collapsing in large numbers so the first time the british start noticing acting on on the banking system typically uh, was in 1913 so 1913 is when british start collecting information about banks saying that you know what's really happening there are too many bank failures and it was it was indirectly and directly impacting their revenues the tax revenues in 1926 there is a hilton young commission uh, which studies the central banking systems around the world and uh, they they suggest that india should also have a central bank and then 1935 rbi comes in so by the time rbi comes in we we've already had a banking system established uh, in in that sense that you have this hierarchical banking system there were the three presidency banks which had merged into imperial bank in 1921 so that was the major bank and then you had uh these joint stock banks you had cooperatives once rbi comes in and it starts taking control then you quickly you had a you have a bank failure in in travancore state called the travancore and national kulon bank so the rbi initially is modeled like bank of england for obvious reasons that the british set up the rbi right so so it is pretty pretty weak on banking regulation so when rbi comes in there's a quickly a bank failure so rbi realizes that we need to have a very comprehensive act to govern banks but then this is 1938 1939 second world war starts followed by partition and independence and so forth so the bank regulation act uh, remains just in pipeline finally 1949 rbi gets this post independence 1947 firstly rbi is nationalized then in january 1949 and in march 1949 rbi gets this comprehensive act to regulate indian banking system could you also tell me what is the role of rbi in indian banking system and what are the main policy related decisions that rbi takes in the country now this has also been an evolution uh, when in 1949 when rbi starts to uh, govern banks starts to regulate banks typically as i said before this there were no regulations really on banking uh, and then now rbi comes in so you start imposing a statutory liquidity ratio uh, because you wanted to ensure that you know certain funds of banks are kept in securities uh, and then the crr the cash reserve ratio was implemented in 1935 itself now uh, so some of those processes uh, begin to start and rbi begins to take control of banking statutory liquidity ratio is the minimum percentage of deposits that a commercial bank has to maintain in the form of liquid cash gold or other securities the cash reserve ratio or the crr is the amount of funds the banks have to maintain with the rbi this reserve is used to drain excessive money from the system and to reduce dispersal both are some of the ways in which banks are regulated through the rbi so the rbi uh, bank regulation act applies to all the regions which are part of india so rbi and its uh, the onus is now on rbi rbi can go and rec- go and inspect any banks and at that time banks are into there are good banks there are bad banks and there are average banks so the idea is that the good banks should obviously continue and uh, what rbi also says is that uh, under the bank regulation act the existing banks will also need a license from rbi in order to function in the country so the bad banks are the ones which are 
gradually asked to either close down or merge with the bigger banks, the good banks, and RBI starts to clean up the process. Uh, so in 1955, the Imperial Bank had become state bank. It was nationalized. And there were some princely state banks which were made part of the state bank group. So you had the state bank group, uh, which was owned by the state. And you had private sector banks mainly. 1969, you had the state bank group. You had the public sector banks. You had the private sector banks. So in this initial years of Bank Regulation Act, RBI had to you know, really go out there and find out uh, what other banks are doing and also learn in the process because you had to build a good supervisory team. You had to understand what's happening. So some of those, some of those things start. Then we quickly come to this another bank failure in 1960 uh, where suddenly RBI realized that whatever we've been doing is not enough. In the period from 1951 to 1960, around 315 more banks failed. Of these, Palai Central Bank's failure in 1960 was the most significant. RBI had learned of Palai Central Bank's troubles as early as 1948, but could not act as the banking law did not apply to princely states. So at that time, RBI started working around an arrangement where you had to say that, okay, uh, a bank which is under trouble, we'll place, in, place it under a moratorium and try and find a buyer for the bank. So that policy came up, comes up in the 1960s, post this uh, bank failure in, again in Kerala. Uh, by the time we come to 69, where banks are to be nationalized, you had about 72 banks remaining in the country. And in this process till 60, from 1913 to 1969, about 2,000 banks have closed, have merged, and so on and so forth. So, you know, that whole churning process and uh, it's like the Samudra Manthan which is going on and RBI is trying to figure out drinking the poison or also giving poison to some others. And in that process, by 69, it completely changes the dynamics of the Indian banking system. So post-69, RBI's uh, role in regulation is takes a backseat because suddenly the government becomes a major owner and also the regulator of the banking system. So there is this Bank Nationalization Act. Under the Bank Nationalization Act, uh, the major appointments and uh, things have to be done by the government, not by the RBI. So suddenly, and since the, the, prime, the, the government nationalized the major banks, so the banking system uh, was with the government. So in that process, much of the regulatory powers also go to the government. So RBI plays a second fiddle role. From this period, 1969 to 91, you didn't allow any new banks to come in. And uh, from the 72, 73 banks, which were there in 69, about, I think about 50 odd remain in 91 because RBI, again, some of those banks closed down. And then in 91, several things begin to change. In 91, the government decided to uh, license more new private sector banks. So that's the reason why ICIC, HDFC, and so on and so forth come in. So 10 new banks were licensed. Now you had two categories of public private sector banks, the old private sector banks and the new private sector banks. Now, uh, uh, in the recent years, all these categories of banks, you know, are facing a crisis, either one or two or three, depending on. So if you look at cooperative banks, every week RBI is either closing a cooperative bank or, you know, passing a moratorium on a uh, starting obviously with Punjab and Maharashtra cooperative bank became a major failure here. But even before PMC, several banks were under trouble. Then you've had some other very good public sector banks under trouble. Then you've had 
new private sector banks like Yes Bank, uh, which faced trouble. Then you have had within all private sector banks, Lakshmi Vilas Bank. So the Indian banking uh, is going through these multiple crises and uh, and and crises in all the institutions. You know, you name a category of an institution, and you've had one or two banks which have failed in this. So this is again leading RBI to go back to its own history of the 1940s and the 1950s, where it with a supervisory structure, where it where it tried to understand these problems. And RBI is again going through uh, similar sort of things, and they've already announced that supervisory team is going to be strengthened. A special cell is going to be created, which is going to study the interlinkages of failures. Uh, before the 2000 crisis, the large banks, the failure of large banks mattered. But after the 2000 crisis, we've learned that an entity can be very small, but it can create a larger crisis because of the interconnections in the banking system. So that's Indian banking is going through a crisis and all of us are trying to understand and uh, figure out how do we resolve this problem. So you mentioned about PMC and you said that RBI is imposing strict limitations, regulations on these banks. Could you tell me why is this happening and what are the key factors behind this? So basically banks go through cycles and basically it's it's this whole economic cycle where things go in an upswing and things go in a downswing. So in 2008, uh, when the global financial crisis happened, Indian banks were growing at a terrific speed, just like other countries. And uh, the crisis created a halt for most of the global banks. Indian economy went down, but then recovered very sharply. Uh, that, I think, created some kind of a false confidence that, you know, you can lend to whoever and you can... Uh, and at that period, that was, a, it was an interesting period where governance, several things begin to go wrong for the banking system. And as a result, the, the loans go out to parties, uh, to companies, not uh, the, the, without doing the usual homework. Now, uh, with public sector banks, uh, that criticism has always been there that for public sector banks, phone banking works, where somebody from the finance asks you to give loans and public sector banks give those loans. But what is very uh, depressing or frustrating is that even private, se- private sector banks like Yes Bank and so on and so forth, and those stories are coming in now, were operating if not over phone banking, but late night banking in, in the sense that the promoter would meet somebody in the night uh, and uh, give the loan, uh, you know, the next morning without really doing uh, much homework. So similarly, the PMC bank, uh, it was simply giving loan to the HDIL, uh, which is this real estate company and uh, without really uh, doing any due diligence. And once the HDIL could not uh, refund that money, the, the bank started doing badly. So even if banking technology changes, the core principles of banking are going to remain. You've got to be very conservative. Uh, you've got to, uh, you know, make sure you are taking those counter cyclical, as we say in economics, that you are basically building more reserves during this time. So that when the cycle reverses, you are able to, it's, it's much like, you know, even children, right? Uh, those, there are, there are some children who just spend uh, and some children who keep things and keep their pocket money for, uh, bad times or you know tough times and then uh, so much of that human behavior somehow has been lost to several of these banking institutions uh, and as a result we are seeing these failures one after the other and then banking is an interconnected system as i just said so gradually if you've not followed the basic principles the basic principles will get back to you yeah right 
Right. Also, could you tell me how has the move towards digital payment applications post demonetization has affected the banking sector in the country? If you could explain some of the visible effects. Oh, that's a that's an ongoing question. So, you know, demonetization uh, came with a very different purpose, and then once those purposes were not really realized, uh, like black money and and counterfeiting and so on and so forth, the government quickly latched on to pushing demonetization as as a platform to digitalize uh, Indian banking. Uh, and obviously, at that time, uh, the banks were flush with funds and uh, the interest rates came down. Now, RBI didn't really signal interest rates to come down, but because of so much liquidity in the banking system where all of us paid our, uh, you know, whatever 500,000 rupee notes we had, we gave it to the banking system. So banks were flush with deposits. So it created a problem of a different kind for banking at that time. Uh, but then uh, the, the signals were clear. that Increasingly, you've got to digitalize uh, your operations. So banks started changing their strategies. They started understanding technology much more. So typically, in the 90s and the 2000s, when you would join a bank, the technology department of a bank was, a, was ancillary to the banking activity. You know, it used to be one of those departments where you would try and ensure the servers are working, this is working, that is working, and it was a work in progress. Now, gradually, technology is coming to the center of it all. So whether you are lending, whether you are uh, deposits, uh, you have to increasingly think about uh, how can you digitalize the process because the customer is not coming to you. The customer is, is elsewhere, and you've got to use social media, you've got to use all the other ways to reach out to the customer. And uh, basically make everything available on the smartphone. So all these banks started building their apps. In this whole thing, the UPI, the United, the Unified pay, uh, Payment Interface, developed by NPCI and RBI and several others, played a phenomenal role because suddenly you can now transfer funds and make payments without thinking about whether you have money in your wallet or not. So now collateral, so some things like collateral, which were, which were, mess, which were essential to give a loan, that is not really needed because or they are working towards a system where collaterals will not be needed. Your credit history in terms of your purchases, in terms of whatever you're doing, is going to be mapped. Uh, so, I mean, a very interesting example is of this insurance. Let's say you go for a car insurance. The insurance company is going to place a device in your car and will will see your driving behavior that when the bumps come and how do you drive a premium. So the safer the safer your driving, uh, the, the lower the premium. So they are using all these very interesting artificial intelligence, machine learning technology to give a very different banking experience. But that, you know, collateral and all of that is perhaps going to be a thing of the past. Thank you for the insightful answer. Also, recently, the union government announced that it will privatize some of the banks under the disinvestment plan. And they have merged the government sector banks also into one another. According to you, what will be the implication of this step on consumers and if it's a good strategy? So 1969 is when Indira Gandhi first nationalized banks, uh, 14 of them. 1980, another six banks were nationalized. So, And those 20 public sector banks, they were all very good private sector banks at one point of time. And I think something went really wrong. Uh, it's So banking is not so much any firm is not an ownership issue. Uh, the issue is whether you are doing the work. I mean, whether the government owns or the private sector owns, the real problem is that 
the incentives of a government organization in the last few decades has come to such a thing that you really don't have to work and you still get your salaries uh, and even if there are even if there are losses there's a government out there to bail you out and the government is bailing you out based on so called taxpayers money and so there are all these uh, problems which have which have come in that it it is required repeated bailout the government is not to pull itself out from the governance of these banks and uh, dr rujit patel and some others have made these speeches even viral acharya has written significantly on these topics saying that the real problem is governance and the governance having said that it's not just a public sector bank problem as i said it's a private sector bank problem as well so governance has to be fixed if most of us make this argument that uh the problem is only with public sector banks no the private problem is with private sector banks as well and the governance has really slipped but in private sector banks uh the thing is that the the, the bank has to the the private management has to arrange funds and figure it out here the government has to do it and the government is repeatedly funding these banks but not really fixing the governance so uh this talk of privatizing reprivatizing the public sector banks because these were private banks at some point of time i think uh it's a good idea because the, the banks are not doing well the government is unable to run those banks uh, the government is not really built a cadre of capable officers and even even if they are are the incentives are such that uh, because you are always scared uh, that you know if i give a loan if it goes bad then there'll be some inquiry so so there are all these incentives out there which have made it very difficult for public sector banks to function in a in an autonomous and a right manner so so in that sense it looks like an interesting and a perhaps a right strategy that you know you give it to those guys who are interested in running the banks not really uh, keep it with you and uh, keep bleeding them the incentive structure the contract of of a ceo of a public sector bank and so on and so forth is done in such a way that even if you get a very capable person the hands are constrained uh and so on and so forth so so in that sense i think it's a decent strategy that you really go out there and just you know get these things out of your back so that you know the government can focus on the governance bit and not really worry about the bad loans and stuff like that that becomes a private sector problem also the banking penetration in the rural india is also picking up pace now what are the changes that need to be made for the poor to benefit from the banking system so uh, this question of increasing rural penetration that has been one of the uh, defining questions of india's uh, financial or banking system because even the cooperative banks as i mentioned were started to really you know push uh, from money lenders to a more uh, systematic thing and and post independence typically the government is very active uh, trying to push uh, banking and the reason why imperial bank state became state bank was largely because of this rural finance committee which was set up which suggested that you know this the largest bank should be nationalized and you should push uh, rural and agricultural lending and uh, enabling more people to open bank accounts one of the major planks of 1969 nationalization if you read indira gandhi speeches whether you believe her or not but the idea was that you want to push the city city based banking to more rural and agriculture based banking but having said that uh, we've not really been very successful because i think one difference which comes in which is perhaps possible because of technology is that uh, in all these years you were trying to push rural lending you were trying to push agriculture lending you were trying to push sme lending 
but not really focused on opening bank accounts and now with with the technology and uh, the the aadhar and the jan that whole jandhan uh, yojana and some some of these things come together and uh, it it allows you to focus on opening uh, bank accounts for people uh, so so i think that is possible because of technology where now you don't really need to go to a, a bank to open an account uh, you can use technology to open it as i'm talking to you uh, you know you you can log in and just open an account and some of this this is all become very simple i mean that there, there was a time when opening a bank account was like you know was like of a occasion by itself that you had to go to a bank get some signatures somebody had to introduce you and it would take a long time for the account to open now accounts open in in just a few seconds or a few minutes so this is all possible because of technology so suddenly uh, you saw this whole enthusiasm of banks to open more bank accounts uh, because of all these technological changes which have happened around us i think uh, and also microfinance institutions uh, there has been a sea change of effort to bring more and more people to the formal or the institutional uh, lending and i think maybe in another another decade or so most of us in around the world are going to be included in the banking services could you tell me what are some of the risk management strategies that the banking sector is using to recover its non performing assets like what part has the pandemic played in the formation or reinvention of these strategies pandemic has created has opened its own pandora's box for the banking system uh just before the pandemic not just in india even worldwide uh, the post the 2008 crisis the npa levels had gone up and so on and so forth now in india's case npas did not go up in 2008 they started going up in 2013 2014 uh because of the as i said the bad lending which happened in this period or if not bad lending irresponsible lending and then you had these asset quality reviews uh which uh, which were done which led to banks actually hiding npas and so on and so forth which led to a much larger npa problem but that problem was gradually coming down rbi was gaining control of it but the pandemic and the nature of it where a lockdown and all that and industry is not allowed to function it created a reversal so rbi in its recent financial stability report assumes a baseline scenario of 15% levels from currently 9% levels so this is going to and uh, there are now we don't know uh, the recovery has been much sharper since then this pandemic created an unforeseen shock for the banking system and uh, even if banks wanted to npas uh, you couldn't recover them because of the pandemic because there were all these restrictions and moreover there's there's been no economic i mean there was no economic activity from the lockdown to let's say about august or september it's only after the august september is when economic economic activity started recovering once those infection rates came down so again here also we don't know it's all based on the pandemic yes large number of people are getting vaccinated so we just hope that uh, the vaccination is successful the the subsequent waves if they are remain limited and the economic activity can continue uh, then maybe some of these npa recovering strategies and all that can be faster because right now what can you recover when there has been no when most of the businesses have actually uh, are still recovering so this you know there's this whole phase called k shaped recovery uh, where some industries are recovering very fast which are which had 
privilege of uh, using high technology, uh, but industries which are not really using technology as much are all struggling still. So, so we'll have to wait and watch. This is not just an India problem, this is a global problem. Right. So according to you, what could be some of the key recommendations for the policymakers and the government for the growth of the banking sector in the country? I don't like the word uh, growth of banking. I mean, I prefer the word stability of banking. Uh, I think uh, banking should be done in absolutely conservative ways. I think this whole thing of bank credit growth and there's that over a period, if those growth rates are very high and all that, it creates eventual problems. So uh, it's not so much about growth of banking as basically trying to ensure that you're doing banking in in as safe a manner as possible in building reserves, in being stable and uh, setting agenda on this governance of banks and basically making sure that you you have not just good people heading these banks, but the incentive structures are such that they're taking the right kind of decisions and so on and so forth. Because this... Any other sector which which goes bad, let's say chemicals industry, there are problems. It does not affect the overall economy. Uh, likewise, if the aviation sector does problems, uh, you can begin to take railways. But if the banking system is, is problematic, and typically in India's case where our financial system is largely bank-driven, it leads to uh, derailing of this wealth. And there's a temptation, there's always this temptation that uh, you give more loans, you allow things to expand, and then you know, this whole chalta hai approach, we'll see it later. When that seat later comes to banking, it's, it's, it's very problematic. You realize that it drags the entire economy down with itself. So for a long time, people have said, and analysts have said that, you know, focus on the banking reforms. And banking reforms is not really uh, some of these things like technology and all that. Yes, those are ongoing things. But the larger issue of setting the incentive structure right, making sure that Bankers are comfortable. Questions are not coming in. They're lending based on the potential of the project, not based on some phone call or some random thing here and there. Price of banking system going bad is faced by the entire economy. Please rate our podcast and leave a comment if you like it. Underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people. So please support us by visiting our contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram.